Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Obedient, we are looking at why being rooted in Christ brings about the blessing of fruitful living. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. I'm not originally from around these parts. People hear me talk and they say, you from Boston? I'm like, no, way south, way south and east from here. Uh, I was born in Rhodesia, who's now Zimbabwe, Africa, grew up there, and uh, came to this country in 1990, been here ever since, working here. The reason I'm telling you this is because I want to tell you something regarding my childhood. It's a thing that stuck with me, has freaked me out at the time. I was a kid, I was watching a documentary on TV. Yeah, we had TVs in Africa. So I was sitting in my, my loin, Tarzan loincloth watching TV. <laughs> That's what people think. No, I was watching TV, and there was this show, and it, it, it freaked me out. It's this kind of show, it was this documentary that was talking about the day coming soon when all the planets, and at the time there were nine planets. Now we only have eight, right, because the last one got cut off, didn't make the cut. I think it was Mercury or something. Anyway, Pluto, Pluto didn't make the cut. And, uh, and, and so when all the planets would be in a line, in alignment, and... Uh, and the, 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 the message was, when all the planets are in line, like that, when all the planets are in line, then disaster is going to hit the world. Earthquakes and tsunamis and our gravitational stuff will go all haywire and, and things bad will happen. And, and, and that was the conjecture. That was what this, this, this show was saying. And I remember watching that. And then they named the, the date. They were like, it's coming in blah, blah, blah. I can't remember exactly when, but it was like very soon. And I was like... <gasps> I freaked out. Oh no, the end of the world. When the planets are in line, we're all going to die. And the day came, and nothing happened, and we went on. It's hard to believe it's uh, 2018. Do you remember 2000? Y2K. We were all freaking out. And don't tell me you were not, because I remember you were, those of you that I knew, right? Y2K was going to come when, when, when we clicked over from 99 to 2000 because of some dummy computer programmers that hadn't prepared for this eventuality. All our computers were going to go haywire. The, the, the grid was going to go down. We were going to have electricity. Uh, the, the traffic lights were going to work. There was going to be mayhem and pandemonium. Planes would fall from the sky and places would blow up. And oh my goodness, Y2K. Do you remember that? And so we bought, what did we buy? We bought MREs. We loaded up on extra water. We didn't go out that night. Some of us did. Most of us didn't. We stayed home on New Year's Eve, and we didn't party like it was 1999, do we? <laughs> oh, wait, it's 2000, right? And what happened? December 31st came along. The ball dropped. It didn't explode. And we woke up in the year 2000, and it was just another day. And all was well. Nothing happened. Except I did a lot of weddings in 2000. It was almost like people were like, okay, we're alive. Let's get married, you know. <laughs> a lot of vacations were taken that year too, I think, because they're like people that stockpiled money and stuffed it in their mattresses. And they're like, okay, we've got this money. Let's go to Florida. Anyway. Those are just two examples of 
end of times predictions that people get wrapped up into. Nostradamus. And in the church, we get all fired up and excited about conversations about the end and our curiosity is peaked and our, and our passions are evoked and our fear is, is, is brought upon us because we're talking about Armageddon and the end times and the Antichrist and who's going to be what and when it's going to happen and, and, and the return of Christ the judge and king is imminent and people are pointing to the day and saying, get ready. And we are fascinated with the thought of Jesus returning and the end of time. When will it happen? What will happen? Do people really have hidden clues in the text that will give us exactly the specifics of who, what, and when that will give us the details as to when it will happen to us? Now, the nice thing is that this is nothing new to humanity and to people of faith. Because if you look into the Bible, what you see is Jesus himself addressing the issue of end of times to his followers. And so obviously it was a question that they were dealing with. And he did it perhaps to give him guidance and direction. Jesus predicted the day of judgment locally for the, the coming of destruction to Jerusalem. But in that prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the day of judgment... In that moment, he also pointed some teaching regarding the end of times when it comes universally. So Jesus had something to tell us regarding the end of times that I think it's important that we capture and understand. That we who are Jesus followers, people of faith, need to really get so that we might be ready and prepared. There's a number of stories that Jesus tells recorded for us in the Gospels, and I love how Jesus used parables of everyday life to convey a meaning that was easily caught by the people who heard. And one of the stories he told is one of my favorites. is about 10 girls who were getting ready for a wedding. 10 girls getting for a wedding, kind of like they're like bridesmaids. And I've done a few weddings, and it's kind of fun to see the bridesmaids. They're in their little room, and they're all getting dressed up and tee hee ha and doing all sorts of funny stuff, getting their hair done, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of energy involved with that. Well, imagine that. There's 10 girls, and they're all getting ready for a wedding. Now, the way it worked in the time of Jesus is that the wedding process was, took three phases. Phase one was what you would call the arrangement and in that, two families would, would broker a deal and would set up an arrangement between a woman and a man as to getting married. And it was a legal contract. Money was, was you know, given, dowry. There was a price involved. There was, was, was a binding agreement. In fact, uh, once you were engaged, it was equivalent to being married. And so when, you know, we hear about Joseph wanting to put away Mary because she was pregnant... It was in this engagement, it says it would divorce her. And that, that, that's why it says that, because it was a legal action. And so phase one involved the arrangement. Phase two, we could call it the preparation. And in that phase, it was when the bride would remain with her family while the groom would get to work. And what he would be doing getting to work would be preparing a place for his bride to come and live with them. And usually that place was a room, was a, an addition, a house that was connected to his father's house. And so he would go away and prepare a place 
in his father's house, in his father's housing complex, if you'd like, so that one day, then, the beginning of phase three, he would come and he would get her. Now, those of you that are familiar with Scripture know about Jesus making a promise. He said, you know, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be all with me also, and then one day I'm going to come back. And get... So he's using that imagery, right? The, the groom Jesus is going to come back to collect his bride. He's going to prepare a place in his father's house for us. And so phase three was, began when the, the groom would come, and he would come usually at night because it would create kind of a fanfare. It would be a little bit of secret, a little bit of fun with this. And he would come, and he would get his bride, and he would take her to the place that he prepared. There would be official ceremony, and then there would be a wedding feast to celebrate, and the feast would go on and on. Well, these ten girls had been assigned, had been asked by the families, by the bride, to be escorts, to attendants to the bride when she was collected by the groom and proceeded through the town to the place where the groom lived. And because it was a night walk, Jesus said, they had to have lamps. And so this was something very familiar to the people there and something that really captured their attention. He said there were once ten girls who were bridesmaids and they were asked to escort the bride when the groom came, everyone knew it was kind of coming, escort her to the place that he had prepared. And of course, because it's a night walk, they would have oil lamps, lamps that were, you know, had oil in it that you lit, and they would walk along. And so they were ready. They came with their oil lamps ready, lit, waiting for the groom. And Jesus said, but the groom was delayed. Typically, it's the bride that's delayed, but the groom was delayed. The groom was delayed, and they began to wait. And as they were waiting, their lamps were burning, and he said they fell asleep with their lamps are burning, waiting until wee hours of the morning, late at night, all of a sudden there was a shout, Hey, the groom's here. Jesus said five of those girls came prepared with an extra jar of oil, and five did not. And he said, when the groom came, the five that were prepared with the extra jar of oil said, oh, we're low in oil, let's fill it up. And they filled up their lamps, lit them up, and were able to go. The five that did not come prepared, that didn't have extra oil, weren't prepared for the coming of the groom in this eventuality, had nothing. And they asked the girls that had oil, can we have yours? And they said, nah, uh, uh we need it for ease. Sorry, ladies. And uh, I don't know if they said that, but uh, you know me. And they were unable to participate in the procession. They were locked out of the wedding ceremony altogether. And Jesus said, this is a lesson for you regarding your attitude towards the end of time, towards my return. First of all, first of all, know that I'm coming back. Second of all, know that the time I'm coming back is unknown, so it's going to be a period of waiting. And thirdly, make sure you're ready when I come back. Make sure you're ready. And a question I think we have to ask is, okay, what does that mean? As people of faith who are waiting for the return of Jesus, as we think about the end that's, that's coming, whether it's our, our personal end, right? Our personal end, I think we all know what that means. Or the universal end, the time in which Jesus returns and closes out history, how are we to be ready? What does that mean to be like the five girls who had extra oil? What does that mean? 
And hence we go to the text that we've been looking at, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're going to go to chapter 3, and we're going to specifically look at verses 14 through 17. I would encourage you in your own time to read the entirety of the chapter, starting in verse 1 all the way to verse 17. But you'll find out in that verse, in this chapter, Paul is talking about the end times. Now, you can say, obviously he is, because Paul, we've said, he's in prison, and he's looking towards his own personal end. But he's also pointing to the fact that this season of persecution is another sign, an indicator of what Jesus said would happen to us, and is a sign that the end is near, that we are in the season of the end of times. What is he pointing to? He's pointing to the inevitable persecution of Jesus' followers. See, the Bible is clear in the message regarding us who are waiting, us in this time between, between Jesus' return to heaven and his return to earth as king and judge. The message is this. During this time, you are going to experience two things, and sometimes you might experience them both within the same period of time. You're going to experience God's miraculous work and victory as his spirit works through us. You're going to experience uh, the defeat of the enemy as we preach the gospel and we let our life shine. And we might even experience miraculous deliverance from, from evil. But also, you will experience persecution. You will experience suffering and hardship. You will experience opposition that's instigated by the enemy of God, Satan, who's operating in this world, and he and his forces, he and his minions, not only demons, but also the, the world, not only, not only that, the, 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 the desires of our flesh, Paul says, those elements will be constantly working against us, and we will suffer. And it's a sign of the end that when we face opposition, we're going to be reminded that these are the end times. In fact, Paul will say flat out in verse 12 of chapter 3, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. And he's writing this from, from prison, so he's experienced this personally, and he's writing to his associate Timothy, who's also experiencing this in his own way, shape, and, and, he's, and he's experiencing this going in, and he's encouraging Timothy, okay, based on the reality that the end is close, based on the reality that we've been reminded that we are in the end times, that today is closer to the end than it was yesterday, personally or, or universally, this is what I want you to do. This is how I need you to live. This is how we are faithful, as Jesus said we're to be faithful, like the five girls who were prepared with extra oil. Verse 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does it look like to be faithful? What does it look like to be one of the five girls prepared with extra oil in the story that Jesus told, to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. 
What does it look like, Jesus, Paul says? It looks like this. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. For us, that means continue to be faithful to the scriptures we've received. Continue to learn and to live scripture in your day-to-day life. Continue to pursue the application of the word of God to daily living. Paul says, why, do we, why have we been given the Holy Scriptures? Why? Because the Holy Scriptures are God's gift for us in this season of waiting so that we might have a roadmap to being faithful. The Scriptures provide us everything we need to be ready. He says the Scriptures provide us teaching. What does teaching mean? Well, teaching here refers to the fact that, that we have information it's, a, it's an informational word. Teaching is the conveying of information. The truth that we need, the information that we need are contained for us in Scripture so that we might be living faithfully to God as we are waiting for His return. It says, the Word of God is useful for rebuking. What does rebuking mean? Well, rebuking basically means that which brings pain to cause change, right? I mean, rebuke is the hurt that comes from putting your hand on the hot plate. Ouch! That's why you have pain receptors. Yesterday, Shannon and I tore down our shed. I think I've mentioned this before. I wooden shed in the back. And so we turned it down. There's pieces of wood everywhere. There's nails sticking out on the floor. And I'm like being, you know, the good protective husband. Hun, be careful. There's nails on the ground. And we had our boots on, so we were protected. And we were going about our work. Watch out for the nails. I mean, there were some long ones sticking out. Inevitably, guess what happened? I'm working hard and whoop, on a nail. Went through the boot into my foot. Right? That's rebuking because the pain that went in there and me like, ah, I was rebuked. <laughs> Don't step on the nail, right? The Word of God is, is like that for us. When we expose our lives to it and there's a place that needs to be changed, it might bring about a, a, a pain, a, a twang, a, a, a feeling of guilt that will go, oh, oh we've got to pay attention. We're going to make a change. Ouch. Word of God is useful, he says, for correction. Correction means adjusting your course in the right direction. Think of scriptures like, like a GPS, a nice GPS, right? A GPS that, that says as you're journeying along, it says, uh, you're off course, recalculating, recalculating, turn around, go back. When we invest ourselves in exposing our lives to the scripture, and, and as we go along, the, the word of God acts as a, as a guide to, to correct the course of our decisions and our actions so that we might be in line with the word and will of God. The word of God is useful for training. Training means practices that produce a result. You watch the World Series. They had this little thing on one of the articles I was reading about the World Series about how difficult it is to hit a fastball, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. They were doing all the, the measurements and the milliseconds of decision you have to make, and you're swinging a round object to try hit another round object. It's actually amazing that, they almost, you know, that we, we can hit, these guys can hit fastballs going at 98 miles an hour, right? How does that happen? Well, that happens through practice, hours and hours of, of swinging in a cage Practicing, simulating so that, so that they can be ready to do that. Well, that practice, those small practicing, allows for performing in the grand scheme of the game. Well, a practice, the Word of God is helpful for practicing. Practicing what? Giving you the way in which you can live in righteousness. 
showing you a picture of what it means and providing a means by which you can put into practice things on your day-to-day that will help you to live in righteousness, he says. Righteousness is what? Living right with God. Living right as God intended. So that you will have everything you need, he says, to be fully equipped. For what? For every good work. For every good work in what? In the light of the last days. You'll have everything you need to be faithful for the end. Because we're in the end times. See, good works means living faithfully by the will of God, living faithfully by the Holy Spirit of God, being faithful in readiness for the return of Jesus. As long as I've been doing ministry, everyone wants to study the prophecy scriptures, revelation. Let's do a revelation study, end times. We need to know because these are end times. Things are getting terrible. Let's do Ezekiel. Let's do Daniel. Let's study the end times because we need to know about the end times. And that's great. Revelation, to be honest, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. But let me just say this. If you want to study the end times, and any study you get into by any teacher, and there are those that are sound biblical doctrine teachers, and there are those that are wackos, I'm just going to say it. If that offends you, I'm sorry, but they're wackos. And they will tell you things about all sorts of stuff that will get you wrapped up and and wound up tight. Let me just say this. If any study and any uh, theology and any approach to the end times does not bring wisdom that leads to salvation, if it does not move you as a person of faith to continue to be faithful on your day-to-day, if it does not encourage with hope and courage to remain faithful to God, believing the truth of God's word in your day-to-day life, loving God, loving people, if it does not produce the the fruit of the Spirit and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if it does not move you towards a deeper prayer life, a stronger commitment to learn out and live Scripture in your day-to-day, a greater commitment to serve, to be more generous with the resources that Jesus has given to you in your life, to be a person who is a forgiver, a grace giver in your day-to-day. If it doesn't do that, then I will tell you that it is not in line with Jesus' teaching and Paul's teaching on end of times. If it invokes fear and anxiety, if it brings you to chase after things that you really are, shouldn't be spending your time chasing after, then it does not line up with the Word of God from the Scriptures. See, any teaching on the end of time that does not call you to be faithful to Jesus is not in line with sound doctrine that comes from the apostles and the teachings of Jesus himself. Matthew 24, verse 45, Jesus tells another story. Another story that captures the same message as the story of the ten girls. Just a different way of saying it. It's a story about an owner and a manager. Jesus poses a question to the crowd. He says, okay, tell me which manager does an owner value? Which manager will get the reward from the owner? Is it the manager that is faithful with the owner, stuff, property, affairs, 
that when the owner goes on a, away on a trip, that when he comes back, he finds the manager busy about his owner's business. He comes back to discover that the owner has, the manager has lived according to the instructions that the owner has left in place regarding his business and property and stuff. Or is it the, the manager that, when the owner's been gone a while, says, Phew, where's the dude? He's not coming back. This stuff's mine. I'm going to do what I want with it. I'm going to use it for myself. I'm going to live according to the way I want to live with the things that belong to him, and I'm going to treat it like it was mine and forget that he is the owner. And Jesus says, when the owner comes back unexpectedly, guess what? The manager's going to face the music. Which one is the one that the owner will reward? Well, that's pretty obvious, the one who's faithful. The one who's faithful. Now, let's apply that to us. You and I, as Jesus followers, are managers. Yep. Everything we have is on loan from God. One passage of Scripture says, your body is not your own. It was bought with a price. If you are a Jesus follower, your body is on loan from God. Every gift that you have, every resource that you have available to you, whether it be your, your, your talents, your gifts, your intelligence, your personality, the, the material wealth that you accumulate and, and work hard to, to, to achieve, all that stuff is a gift from God. You're a manager of life. And if you belong to Jesus, that means you recognize that he is the owner. If God is the owner and we are the managers and the owner has gone, leaving us to manage what is his, we have to remember that he's coming back. He's coming back. And how is he going to catch you? How is he going to find you? He's going to come back when we least expect it. It'll be all of a sudden and a surprise. Sure, we can say there are signs of our times that we're in the end times. Yeah. Difficulty, persecution, suffering, things that spook us as Jesus felt. Yeah, we're in the end times. But the message of the fact that we're in the end times needs to serve as a reminder, not of fear, but of faith. It needs to serve as a reminder that we're the managers and the owner is coming back soon. And he may come back soon universally or he may come back soon privately with your own end. And the question is, is that in the face of these end times, God has given us everything that we have to be fully equipped, to be faithful. He's given us the scriptures. He's given us the Holy Spirit to walk alongside us. Will he catch us as a good manager. Think about it. Will you be caught as a good manager? And so the message of Scripture is this. In the face of the end times, in order to be obedient, commit to each day being faithful. Celebrate each day. Begin each day with, with gratitude and thankful, thanksgiving. Why? Because each day is a gift from God, and each day is another day closer to the end. That's what we all can know. Today is closer to the end than it was yesterday. So be caught being faithful. 
as the good manager, as one of the five with extra oil. And when the end comes and we face the owner, we'll be caught being busy about his work and we will receive the commendation, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's stand. We're going to close with prayer. We'll close with prayer. Standing provides opportunity for members of our prayer team, our elders, prayer, prayer team members, to come forward and be available to you. But I'm going to say a blessing. And after that, we will be dismissed. But at this time, I'd like you to consider the words that have been shared. We've sung about the faithfulness of God in the music. We've celebrated the promise of Jesus of life now in communion. We've given in faithfulness and gratitude, and we've heard the message. The message says, when the end comes, are you going to be caught being faithful? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for this reality. Heaven is not something that is coming. Heaven is something that we have now in the life that you give us. And help us to live faithfully in that place. Day in, day out, knowing that you provide everything that we need to remain strong in you. Thank you for the word of God. We have access to your word now in our culture more than ever before. We have our Bibles on our bookshelves. We have our Bibles on our phones and our tablets. We have our Bible resources and teachers that can provide us insight into your word now more than ever. Lord, I thank you that we have the scripture and the scripture is God-breathed and is useful if used, if learned and lived out, useful, provide information by which we need to know to live for you, to correct us when we are out of line, to Rebuke us when we need a little pain to motivate change, to train us in what it means to live right with you so that we might be fully equipped, prepared for every good work in this season that we have, the season of end times. Help us not to be captured with fear and worry about what's happening around us, but instead to take the lessons of Jesus and of Paul to be daily faithful faithful, being stewards, being managers of what you've given to us, managers of our bodies, managers of our talents and our gifts, our work opportunities, our marriages, our parenting, our grandparenting, the influence we have of our neighbors, the care we provide uh, in our day-to-day -day living. Help us to learn so that we might be fully equipped, and when you return, we all might be found being, being faithful. We might be caught not with our heads in the sky waiting for Jesus to return, but instead our heads firmly focused on the things around us, serving God as we're being called to serve. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. Just a reminder, our guys are still up front. Also, next week we fall back. So we fall back in time. So enjoy the extra hour of sleep, but don't be late at church. God bless. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.